I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth. I've got a title on the board, God's Orderly Arrangement of Everything Good and Evil. God said, I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. He said, I make peace and create evil. I'm the one that creates the evil. That's something the world hates. They don't like it. I'm going to talk about some evil today. I've been talking about the kingdom of God, which is in us. I've been talking about uh, about how that we're supposed to be uh, baptized into the kingdom, but not by water, but by blood. A blood baptism was a death or a martyrdom, but I'm going to veer from that, and I may move back into this. There's an orderly arrangement. If we're going to get Jacob, we've got to get Jacob. Well, let me put it this way. Jacob is over here in Israel. And if this is Israel here, we've got to get Jacob over here past, this is the Arabian Desert, Arabian Desert, and it's this is the land of Haran over here. Haran or Babylon or what you and I would call Iraq. Now Jacob, if you're going to have David as the king of Israel, and he's going to be a long way down the road from Jacob. In fact, he is 20, excuse me, he's 11 generations down the road from Jacob. David comes later on. If we're going to have David as king of Israel, king, he comes out of the tribe of Judah. Judah is the, we're not going to get him over here, but God's going to get him over here. We've got to get him over to Iraq. Here is Iraq right here. Right here. This is the land of Haran or Babylon on this Euphrates River that runs through Iraq. They, and Joseph, excuse me, Jacob is over here uh, close to Jerusalem. It's about 650 miles. You can't go through the desert here because that's too much sand and you'd die of thirst. They had to come north and go down to Babylon. So, so Jacob is 650 miles from where he needs to be in order to be the father of the king of Israel. He's got to get over here and he's got to marry Leah who he doesn't want to marry but he only marries her because Laban, his father-in-law, tricks him. Of course, Jacob was a trickster too. Jacob, Yaakov, means heel catcher. It means to trip somebody up. And he came out of the womb. He and his brother... Jacob and Esau were twins. They weren't identical twins. They had to be fraternal twins because when they come out of the womb, firstborn was his older brother Esau. 
and it come out red and hairy all over and rough looking. Jacob was born second and he had his hand on his heel. That's what he did all his life was trip people up. Jacob, when you study him, you're, going, you're like, oh man, I don't think I like that guy. <laughs> One night I taught on Jacob, me and my wife were riding home. She said, I hate him. <laughs> I said, but God converted him. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. But we got to get him over here, over here. And in order to get him over here, you got to come up with a bunch of evil. Now, the way Jacob gets over here, he's going to have to marry Leah. And she's going to be the mother of Israel. Along with Rachel. Rachel. Rachel's the one that Jacob was in love with, not Leah. Leah was probably real gentle, real kind, and real quiet. But when you're talking about about Rachel, she was conniving. She stole her father's gods, his teraphim. But teraphim didn't mean you believe in gods. The teraphim was like a title deed to property. She stole those from Laban, her father, so that she could have some guarantee that she had some of that land over there in Babylon or in the land of Haran. Well, how is Jacob going to get away from Israel and be over here? This will show you just how God arranges everything. Jacob wanted to, he was born in Genesis, the 25th chapter, 25. That's where the Bible says that Rachel said, God, give me a son. She said, I'll give you a son, and the elder will serve the younger. As it says in Romans 9, for Jacob have I loved thee, so have I hated. Well, Jacob was loved by God, and boy, when you read his life, he was such a scoundrel until God converted him. Well, he wanted, he wanted the, he wanted the inheritance of Israel, but never was the second born to get the inheritance. Never. The first one was get the inheritance. So the one that's going to get the inheritance, Esau. The Bible says, Jacob, have I loved Esau, have I hated? Well, Esau has a right to the inheritance of his father, Isaac. So Jacob says, I've got to sneak up and do something to get this inheritance. Esau was a man of the field. He liked to go hunting. He had his bow and arrows and all. And he went out hunting one day, Jacob, and he was real tired and real hungry. And Jacob had a bowl of pottage. And Jacob said, I'll give you this pottage for your inheritance. And Esau, what good will my inheritance do if I'm dead? So I'll take it. And he just traded his inheritance like that. Well, Jacob was a tricky guy. He knew that that was wrong. So Jacob goes to his father, Isaac, and he says, he's going to sneak up on his father. But his mother helped him do this. Rebecca helped him. She was kind of behind it. She said, go out and put some skin on your arm, some animal skin, since your brother is hairy on the arms, and go to your father and say, Father, this is your son. I'm your firstborn son, Esau, Dad. 
And Jacob's and Isaac said, Is that truly Esau? He said, Yes, Father. Jacob's lying through his teeth. <laughs> he was a rascal. And then his father said, Well, the voice sounds like Jacob, but that arm feels like Esau. Do you think Isaac was fooled? I don't believe that at all. So he blesses Jacob and gives the official blessing to Jacob and says, you're going to inherit the land. By that time, Esau is livid. He says, I'll get him. And so he starts chasing him. And Jacob leaves town, runs up here to Bethel, and that's where he sees these angels climbing up this ladder, going them down to heaven. And Jacob is running for his life, and he goes over here. His mother had told him, you go to the house of my fathers. My, my brother is Laban. Go over there. Stay over there till everything cools down with Esau over here. And then while you're over there, you can pursue your life. Well, the first thing he sees when he gets over there is this drop-dead gorgeous woman, Rachel. I love her, man. I love the way she looks. I want her. And he goes to her father and says, How long will it take for me to get her? And he said, You've got to work seven years for He said, I'm willing to do that for somebody that beautiful, that gorgeous. He didn't know he was getting a, some poison, getting racial. Drop dead gorgeous women are that way. They are in love with themselves. And I think Rachel was in love with herself. Rachel turns out to be fairly decent. But Leah is real gentle and quiet. And so after seven years of watching for Rachel, he goes to, Jacob goes to Laban and says, it's time for you to give me your daughter. I want her. You promised her and seven years is up. So he said, Jacob, you go into your tent and I'll bring her in there tonight while it's dark. He brings her in. The next morning, Jacob wakes up, opens his eyes, and guess who's in there with him? Leah, not Rachel. He's going, you tricked me. I want Rachel. How long will it take for me to work to have Rachel? He said, seven more years. He said, I'm willing. I want her. She was had to be a really good-looking woman. So he worked seven years for Rachel. And then they begin to having this baby contest. You can see that baby contest in Genesis 29 and 30. And these are the children they have. Leah starts out, if Jacob had not cheated his brother and lied to his father, he wouldn't have been over here and would have never seen Leah. It would never have happened. It's talking about the will of God. Leah starts having babies. She's got one called Reuben. Then she has one called Simeon, second born. And then she has one called Levi. Ooh, out of Levi would come the priesthood. If Jacob had not lied and cheated his brother and lied to his father, we wouldn't have any Levites for the law. And then she had the 
firstborn. Judah, out of Judah would come the king. That's where David would come from. It's a good thing that he lied to his father over here and he lied and cheated his brother because he wouldn't be over here married to Leah. And it's a good thing that Laban tricked him because when he goes into Leah, she has the, 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 she has the tribe out of which the king and the priest will come. You see how necessary it is for evil to be? It's, it's unbelievable. Then after Judah, they have handmaids. The women have handmaids. That's a secondary wife. And Leah has Zilpah. Leah, Leah has a handmaid named Zilpah. Don't call, no, don't name your daughter Zilpah. They'll call her Zilly or something like that at school. And then Rachel had a handmaid. And her name was Bilhah. Remember Bilhah? That's the one that Reuben had slept with. And the Bible says he was unstable as water. The very fact that he slept with Bilhah, that gave the the head of the family a right to give what belonged to the head. The firstborn was supposed to be the king, the priest, and the inheritor. Only one person got the inheritance. One person. And all of that was split because he was unstable and slept with Bilhah. So God says, I'm going to give, so Abraham says, I'm going to give the priesthood to Levi. It did belong to Reuben. I'm going to give the kingship to Judah. And I'm going to give the, there's one down here, Joseph. And he's the 11th son. And he is the firstborn of Rachel. And he's going to get the inheritance through his secondborn, Ephraim. Now that's very interesting. Then after this, after she has these four kids, Rachel is beside herself. I'm barren, she says. What about me? She says, I know I'll take my handmaiden, Bilhah, I'll send Jacob in to her and she can have kids by Bilhah and here's what she'll have. She had Dan and Naphtali. Dan and Naphtali. You can find this in Genesis 29 and 30. It was like a baby having contest. That's what they were in. Like, uh, I'm going to outdo you. And Leah was racing through this. She was very fertile. She was a gentle, quiet lady. Not gorgeous, not drop-dead gorgeous, or Rachel. And then Dan and Naphtali, that was Bilhah's babies. Bilhah. And then... And then Leah says, well, I want some by my, my handmaiden, Zilpah. It's really funny that they don't might think nothing about sending the husband having a sexual episode with him. So just have babies. So Zilpah goes in 
has two children, Gad and Asher. And all of these are going to be sons of going to be sons of Jacob when Jacob's name is changed to Israel. This is going to be the nation. And then Leah says, I want some more sons and she has Issachar. And and Issachar well, I spelled it wrong. Issachar and then she has uh, one after that, Issachar and Zebulon. Z E B U L O N. And in between these she has he has one daughter. You can call her Dinah, it's probably pronounced Dina. One daughter and she's she's gonna end up having an affair with with a pagan and uh and it's gonna show the rage of Simeon and he goes in and wants to kill uh, this pagan, and he does that, and all of his family, and God puts a God puts a curse on Simeon, and then, then after this, Rachel is just frustrated. I'm, I'm, I'm I want a son. She begs God, cause my my system to lie come alive. I want a son. She gets the most fantastic son of the Old Testament. And God gives her Joseph. Do you realize that if Jacob had not lied to his father, if he hadn't, if Laban, his father-in-law, hadn't lied to him and given him given him uh, these first four sons that the king wouldn't come out of Judah. There would be no Levitical priests if he hadn't ended up from over here, over here. And all the lies were necessary for that to come about. This is part of the evil that God creates. Then, after all this happens, then their head, Joseph, Jacob is over here in in what we call Iraq or Babylon, and he heads back after twenty years over here, and he's he's frightened to come over here and face Esau because he's lied and stole his birthright and the whole thing from him. So he heads back this way, comes back, and he comes back to Bethlehem. And while he's there, his pregnant wife, Rachel, delivers a son, her twelfth one, Benjamin. And while she's delivering Benjamin, she breaks Jacob's heart. She dies with delivering her last son. She dies. And all of this because of the lies that Jacob told. He has to run for his life and hide over here where he meets his future wives, out of which comes the entire nation of Israel. You see how evil is necessary? 
it was necessary for all this to happen. There would be no David. There would be no Solomon, David's son, to build the temple. And all of that was, was that planned before the foundation of the world? Yes, it was. But not without. You see, when David, there's, you have, let me give you something here. This thing is planned out. This is God's program for planning lives. He not only predestinated his family before the foundation of the world that he picked us out and is going to conform us to his likeness, but he has created all the systems, numbers, and names, and families before the world began. He started with Adam. Second born, second borns were blessed all through the Old Testament, just like we are born again, and the first birth is rejected, and the second birth, born again, is accepted. And the second born Abel was blessed over Cain. Cain offered the works of his hands. And Abel offered a blood sacrifice. Where did Abel get that idea? He got it from Adam, his father. Where did Adam get it? From God, from Jesus, who was pre-incarnate in the, in the flesh when he come and talked to Adam. And Adam went out and bought, he found some fig leaves and tried to cover his, in Eve's nakedness because of the sin they'd committed. God said, that's not good enough. God kills an animal. I believe it was a sheep. And covers their nakedness. That's the first blood baptism. Blood baptism. And to show you this orderly arrangement, how systematic it is, when you go, Abel was second born, he was blessed. And you go down, Abel had a brother named Seth. He wasn't born until Abel was dead. And Eve knew her husband Adam, and she conceived and bare Seth in the place of Abel whom Cain slew. So Seth was a substitute for Abel. And when you find in Genesis, the fifth chapter, you find Adam had a son and called his name, called his name, Adam had a son called his name Seth. Seth had a son called his name Enosh. Enosh had a son called his name Canaan and Mahalalel and then Jared and it goes all the way down to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So this is the lineage, but it's actually the lineage of Seth who took the place of Abel. It was the law of the Jews that when one man died, his brother would raise up son and marry the woman that he had been married to and raise up children. So this is actually Abel's lineage in Genesis 5. Now, when they get on down the line, when they get on down here, and you go from, you go from Adam to Shem. Shem was the eleventh from Adam, and he was second born. His older brother was 
Japheth and his younger brother was was Ham. And the Bible says, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, that Ham, his descendants, Canaan, will dwell in the tents of Shem. Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem. The inheritance was only given to one. When you go to the next set of 11, start with Shem. You get on down here to Jacob. Jacob was second born, just like Shem was second born. He receives the blessing of God. He becomes Israel. And Esau is rejected. So that's 11 and 2. This is 11 and 2. You think numbers are not are not ordained by God? Yes, they are. Then you go to the next set of 11. The next set of 11 takes you all the way down to David. There's 11, 11 between these two, 11 between these, and 11 here. 3 to 11 is 33. David is a picture of Christ who died at 33 years old. That's very fantastic to me. Now, you back up to Jacob. Back up to Jacob. He had 12 sons. His 11th son was Joseph. Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim was second born. Second born, 11 and 2. You think that's an accident, or is that the plan of God? Now, then when Joseph is sold into Egypt, let's back up to here. Joseph is sold into Egypt. What is in Egypt? There's a great famine in the land. Remember, Joseph rises to be second in Egypt. His brothers sold him into bondage. That's necessary for all these things to happen. He had to be in bondage because none of this would have turned out this way if he hadn't have been. When he was in bondage, his brothers saw him coming with the they wrote in the Bible coat of many colors that's not the word it's not Donnie Osmond in the coat of many colors it's a stupid story dumb the word is not colors the word color is the word ayin in the Hebrew A-Y-I-N it is not ayin it is not colors it was a coat of pas the reason they called it a coat of colors because it was patchwork but it was a coat of authority. It was a coat of authority. And when Joseph was 17 years old in Genesis 37, he's 17, and he said, I need to go find my brothers in northern Israel. So he heads up to Samaria. They see him from a distance. They go... (laughs) 
Our Father has made him boss over us. He's got on the coat of authority. And they were in a rage. And they said, let's kill him. And the amazing thing is the most unstable guy among the family said, that was Reuben. He said, let's don't kill him. Let's sell him to this caravan going to Egypt. So they sold him to the caravan. And they told his father that some wild animal had killed him. But that had to be, he had to be in Egypt. Notice this. He had to be in Egypt. So he could bring all the rest of his family over there. Seventy of them in the family. Seven is the number of divine refinement in the Bible. And his father Jacob, when he was old, came over to Egypt. After he had this adventure with his brothers, his brothers came and said, his brothers said, we need grain. Because the famine had been in the land for five years. And you remember the story how that Joseph was put in prison. All this is necessary for things to be the arrangement of God. The reason he's in prison, his brother sold him over to Egypt. He goes into the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was one of the commanders in Egypt. Potiphar was high ranking. Potiphar was so high ranking that he could pick out any woman in Egypt he wanted. So he got him a gorgeous woman, his wife. But she wasn't exactly full of principle. And when he got her... And Joseph was there in the house of Potiphar. She looks at Joseph and the Bible says Joseph was very fair. He was a very handsome young man. She said, I'll get him. He'll like me because I've got all this beauty. She made a pass at Joseph. He said, I cannot do this and sin against God. And he yanked loose from her and left his coat in her hand. And she began to cry, rape, rape. And they got Joseph, put him in prison. But Potiphar knew his wife. It was against Egyptian law to mess with one of their wives. If you did that, you could die for that. Usually a death penalty was on that. Potiphar knew who he was married to. He knew that. So he puts Joseph in prison. Joseph is so responsible in prison he just moves up in authority. They make him the chief turnkey. A turnkey was a man that was responsible for the doors. He was respected by everybody. They loved him. Everywhere Joseph went, he was looked up to. But this is all necessary in order to have Moses come along 400 years later and lead the children of Israel out of bondage and take them to Mount Sinai in order to have a law. We wouldn't have a law if this all did not take place, if Jacob wouldn't lie to his father, and all of this had not taken place, and his brothers hadn't lied about him, and put him in bondage, and sold him to Egypt. So he goes here to Egypt, and he's over in Egypt, and while he's in Egypt, he becomes the head of everything. He reads the the Pope has two dreams. And Jacob's in prison. But before the Pope's dream, 
Jacob's in, he's in, excuse me, Joseph is in prison. And the baker and the butler of the Pope, not the Pope, Pharaoh. I don't know where I got the Pope in that. I got the Pope in there. Uh, the butler and the baker of the Pharaoh are in prison. And they hear about Joseph and they, the baker comes to him, uh, the butler comes to him. He wasn't a butler. He was a, he was a wine taster. He was a cup bearer. The cup bearer was the most trusted man of a king. Cause he'd bring the cup to him and he'd say, you drink of it first and if you don't die, then I'll drink of it. And usually the cup bearer was a eunuch. They would have him castrated so that his, his affection would be only to the king that he served only. So he's serving the, that's what this butler's doing, serving him. And the butler said, I had a dream, can you interpret it for me? So Joseph interprets the dream and he tells the butler, you're going to be released in three days. And then the baker comes to him and says, uh, I had a dream also. And he tells him his dream. And Joseph said, you're going to be taken out of prison and hanged in three days. So three days pass and the butler's released and the baker's hanged. And Joseph tells the butler, don't forget me in prison, but it's necessary that the butler forgets him. This is how sovereign God is. He has to forget him until the king has his dreams. So the king comes up with two dreams. There always has to be two witnesses to anything happens in Israel. The king has a dream. He says there were these, these fine ears of corn, and then there's these bad ears of corn. There's these, he has a second dream that these good cattle go down to the water and they come up bad. And Joseph, and they said, the butler says, I know a man that can interpret these. He's in your prison. So he goes and gets Joseph, brings him to the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh says, can you interpret my dreams? He says, I can't, but God can. But the Pharaoh demands that Joseph bow to him. He said, I will not do that. I'll only bow to Jehovah God. So the Pharaoh says, he tells him his dreams and he says, how can, he says, these are both the same dream. There's going to be seven good years and seven years of famine. And the Pope says, how can we get around this? And the Pope, I keep getting him in here. I'm sorry. It starts with a P, Pharaoh. The Pharaoh says, how can I get around this? So Joseph tells him, set up a man that can gauge everything and set up storehouses in the land. And Pharaoh says, who better but a man that won't bow to me? I'll put you in charge. He said, you'll be in charge of everything in Egypt except my household, except my wife and my food. You are the boss of Egypt. And boy, Potiphar is humbled by this time because here's the man that was in his house. He's making second only to the Pharaoh in Egypt. So Joseph rises up, becomes powerful in Egypt. And the fact that he's there means that he's there for 400 years. He brings all of his family over in Egypt, 
brings them over there. And when he gets over there, they stay there for 400 years until Exodus, the first chapter. And Exodus, the first chapter, that's where the 400 years actually starts because Joseph is not in bondage. He's not in, he never was. He was the boss in Egypt. How could he be in bondage? So in the first chapter of Exodus, the Pharaoh sees how there's, the Jews are multiplying above everybody and he's afraid they're going to take over Egypt. So he said, you got to kill all of the firstborn males. So they start killing the firstborn and some of the midwives say, they back off and say, we're not going to do that. And the Pharaoh asked him, What's, why wouldn't you do that? He said, oh, they were very lively women and they had these babies before we could get in there. And that wasn't true. They lied to the Pharaoh. So in the second chapter of Exodus, they take one of the babies, put him in a little ark, pitch it with pitch, just a little thing for babies. And that was Moses. Put it in the water and float it down the Nile River. And the Pharaoh's daughter was out there bathing one day and she sees this baby and she takes it in. The amazing thing, they take it back to Moses' mother and let her nurse it. And then he stays and then he goes, he goes through all of these ten plagues in Egypt. God calls him out of the burning bush. None of this would have happened if if Jacob hadn't lied to his father and he had ended up over here, it wouldn't have happened. So it was necessary that it all happened. So these things would happen. So you wouldn't have Solomon. You wouldn't have David. It all goes back to Jacob's sin over here in the beginning. Now, so Moses has to be in... Moses wouldn't be there. He is a descendant of the Levites, the third son, the third son of Leah over in Babylon or in what we call Iraq. And without Jacob having lied to his brother and his father, he wouldn't have gone over there running from his brother. And Moses comes out of that third son of Jacob who was the descendant of Leah, the mother of eight of the sons of Jacob. She wouldn't she wouldn't have been there. And so Moses goes leads the children of Israel out after ten plagues from the third chapter through the twelfth chapter of Exodus. That's the last chapter where there's a plague and the tenth plague is Passover. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you and those that had the blood upon the doorpost of their house, the death angel would pass over. And God's killing everybody that doesn't have the blood. And He doesn't tell the Egyptians. So all these Egyptians got households. Uh, their kids are dying. And plus all those other plagues. 
So Moses leads them out of Egypt in the 14th chapter. He goes down to... He goes down to Mount Sinai. He leaves Egypt, goes to Mount Sinai, and gets the law of God. We wouldn't have the law of God if Jacob hadn't lied to his father and stolen from his brother. Can you see all this? All of the evil is necessary. God says, I make peace and create evil. And he did it all for our good. Now, so you wouldn't have David. And David committed adultery and murder when he had a sexual tryst with Bathsheba. He saw Bathsheba sunbathing on a housetop. He was in the castle looking down at the housetop, and she's out there naked sunbathing. And he had lust in his heart, and he said, I want her. She is a beautiful woman. But he knew who she was. He had to know who she was because his chief counsel was Ahithophel, And Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. And you know that sometime during the period that Ahithophel was in the palace, she come in and says, Anyone seen my grandfather here? David knew who she was. So, unless, unless Jacob lied to his father, All this is not going to happen. This is God's orderly arrangement is what it is. So, when David commits adultery and murder, then Nathan the prophet rebukes David, and David immediately repents. But the trouble never leaves his household. Nathan said, the sword will never leave your house. And then his son Absalom, or his son Amnon, rapes his sister and she, Tamar, and Absalom hears about it and plots for two years to kill Amnon. And he does. And David gets miserable. And what what he'd been told, misery's going to be in your house for the rest of your life. And it was. And I went through that whole thing in some messages. And then after the baby dies, where Bathsheba's pregnant, baby dies... After the baby dies, David marries Bathsheba. She has another son whose name is Solomon. (laughs) This sounds like as the world turns, doesn't it? Sounds like the young and restless. There's rape, murder, deception, lying on the part of some of the good guys, particularly David. When people say, I'm just not good enough to come to grace and truth ministries, have you ever killed? He had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, murdered in battle. He told his nephew, Abishai was one nephew, and his other nephew, his brother was Joab, and Joab was the head of David's army, and 
Joab was up here in, well, let me put it up here on the board. He was up here in the land of Ammon fighting the Ammonites. And David is down here in Jerusalem. David's here in Jerusalem and, and the land of Ammon is up here. In fact, it's what we call Jordan. Ammon Jordan is the capital of Jordan. So David sends for Uriah, the Hittite, who was the husband of Bathsheba, Bathsheba, and he gets Bathsheba pregnant. It's believed that David may have had red hair and freckles. The Bible says he had a ruddy face. He was ruddy of color. Ruddy means red. Red-faced people, a lot of times, have got red hair and freckles. So he didn't look like Gregory Peck when you see that old movie at all. And he was probably very charming at that. So he wanted to kill Uriah. First of all, he said, Uriah... Go home and sleep with your wife. Maybe after, she, maybe after she has a sexual affair with you, people will think she's that's your baby that she's pregnant with, even though it's got red hair and freckles like me. Thought I'll fool the world. But the next morning, David got up and came to the door of the castle. And guess who is sleeping on the porch of the castle? Uriah the Hittite. David said, didn't you go home and sleep with your wife last night? He said, how can I do that when my king is at battle? Uriah was more faithful than most in his servant that David had. David said, oh, goodness, what am I going to do? I'm the king of Israel. How can I get out of this? I know what I'll do. He wrote a note. He said, Uriah, I want you to take this back to Joab. My nephew who's commanding my armies up there in Ammon. And it says, put your in the heat of battle and withdraw from him so he'll die. And, it, and he didn't look at it because it was probably sealed with his king's seal on it. That was against the law to break the king's seal. And he gave it to Uriah and he took his own death warrant to Joab. And Joab did exactly what David said. Joab was a killer. David's nephew. He wasn't something you laughed at. Job said, I can do that. So he put him in the heat of battle and withdrew. So David committed adultery and murder. Was very underhanded. Well, you can't think these guys are all saintly. But as soon as Nathan rebuked him, he repented and said, Oh, God, I have sinned. I only have sinned. He didn't blame Bathsheba. He said, It was me. I was the king of Israel. Well, he did nothing but have trouble the rest of his life. Absalom murdered Amnon, who had raped Tamar, his daughter. Absalom was his son. Amnon was his son. So Amnon, Absalom murdered Amnon. Then Absalom ran out of the town, went back to where his mother lived up in the north, and then Joab rises up and says, let's go get Absalom, bring him back to the back to the land. He goes and talks. He talks Absalom into coming back. Guess who it is that kills Absalom later on? It's Joab. These 
disguise or something else. Anyway, Absalom comes back to town. He stands up beside the gate of the city. And he starts, and he's got these long tresses of black hair. And he looks charming. He's a handsome guy. And he starts telling the people, you don't need to go to my father. Just tell me your problems. I'll help you solve them. After a while, Absalom says, it's time for me to be king. So he starts, gets him an army up, says, I'm going to attack my father, David, and run him out of the land. So he takes off after him. And they go north of Jerusalem. And David has got three super fighting men plus his army. He's got his nephew Joab. He's got Joab's brother Abishai who would just kill anything. He could. He had a chance to kill. He's always saying, Uncle David, I'll go kill that dead dog that's yelling at you and throwing stones at you. David said, shut up. God has bid him to throw stones for what I've done. It's just astounding how wicked some of those people in the Bible could be. So... David has nothing but trouble for the rest of his life. What the amazing thing, after that baby dies, that he got Bathsheba pregnant, he marries her and she gets pregnant again. She has a son called Solomon. <laughs> That's something. God tells David, you can't build me a city or a house to dwell in. Because you're a bloody king. I want your son Solomon to build it. But Solomon is not exactly... He's a good man to start off. He was a good man in Israel. But he marries these gorgeous women. They're foreign women. 700 wives and 300 concubines and most of them worship Shemash or Molech or one of these sun and tree gods and so he's messed up Israel here's the whole point God tells Solomon I'm taking the kingdom away from you I'm going to split the kingdom and what he does he turns it into two kingdoms I have it on that map over there you got northern Israel and southern Judah And out of northern Israel, northern Israel is called Samaria. All this came about because Jacob lied to his father and his brother and stole from his brother. Every bit of it came because of that. That's the arrangement of God. That's how he works things out. Then Jacob ends up or Solomon ends up building the temple of God. Solomon builds the temple. You can see that in First Kings. Solomon builds temple. Why couldn't David build, David build the temple? Because God said he was a man with bloody hands. He couldn't build it. So God had Solomon build it. And Solomon, he's a good guy when he starts, but because he allows 700 wives and 300 concubines, 
to go after their ungodly gods, Shemash and Molech and Ashtaroth and all the rest of these. God says, I'm going to split the kingdom. I'm going to have northern Israel. And I'm going to have southern Judah. And southern Judah was comprised of the tribe of Judah. And they named southern Judah after the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And in northern Israel, it's going to be headed up by Ephraim, the second-born son of Joseph. Actually, Joseph is said to have the inheritance of Israel through his second-born son, Ephraim. Then southern Judah is Judah and Benjamin. And then God splits these, and because they go after all these gods in 722 B.C., God carries northern Israel off into captivity by the Assyrians. All of this would not have happened if Jacob had not lied to his brothers and run off and married these wives in a foreign land called Iraq. That's what we call it. Or in the land of Haran. So, southern Judah, these four decrees are given by Persian kings, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, for Israel to go back and rebuild the the temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed and rebuild the city in Nehemiah the second chapter and this has to do with the end of time and none of this would have worked and when you look at certain chapters in the Bible is northern Israel and southern Judah are going to come back into one nation at the end of time and none of this would have happened in this prophecy wouldn't have come together this way. It all started with Jacob lying to his father, stealing from his brother. That's right. Because he had to get over there into Babylon, the land of Haran, in order to he could marry Leah and Rachel, which was going to be the people that mothered all of the Israelites. Just astounding, isn't it? And it had to had had to do. God says, "I make peace and create evil." I, the Lord, do all these things, and all of this came about because of the evil that Jacob did when he was young. He was truly deceptive and a heel catcher. Jacob was uh, when he was coming back. In the 32nd chapter of Genesis, he was coming back after 20 years over here. And he's coming back with his wives, which was, which was Leah and Rachel and Bilhah and Zilpah. And he's got all of his children coming back over here to Israel. And he, when he gets in Israel, or Canaan, whatever they want to call it, he gets to Bethlehem, and that's where 
his wife Rachel gives birth to Benjamin and she dies in birth and they're back home and when they're coming home in Genesis 30 32 excuse me Genesis 32 Jacob is scared to death to come over here and face Esau. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And Jacob is terrified of Esau because he's lied and stolen his birthright. You can't figure out God and how he operates things. It's astounding. One of the most touching scenes to me is in that 32nd chapter. And this nearly breaks, I nearly break up every time I read this. Let's go back to Genesis 32nd chapter. Genesis. Jacob has been over in the land of Haran, or we call it, I keep reminding you, that's what we call Iraq, or they called it Babylon. And it's on the Euphrates River. You can see the Euphrates River running right down through it. And the Tigris running right here. The word Mesopotamia means between the rivers. It means that is Iraq. That's Mesopotamia between the rivers. The two rivers, Tigris and Euphrates. And I love this here in Genesis. Genesis the... 32nd chapter. Jacob's on the way back. He's scared to death. He's going to have to face Esau. I would be too if I had lied and cheated and stole, run away from it. Look here. Genesis 32. 32. Jacob is on his way back. He shows you what a chicken he is. <laughs> we got everything lined up. Verse 9. Let's read some in the first part of the chapter. Verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. That's an interesting statement because Mahanaim is the city of refuge. When Absalom was trying to take over the kingdom from his father David, and David was headed north, he was headed north out of Jerusalem, and he come north, and, and Absalom with his armies was coming up to run his father out of town, and he crossed the river, the Jordan River, and come over to the city of refuge called Mahanaim. That's what this is talking about, that place. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother. Oh, goodness, I hate to have to face him. I've been gone 20 years and more. He's going to want to kill me when I get there. I stole his birthright. He had a right to it. I didn't. And the land of Seir. Mount Seir is just south of Israel. It's called the land of Edom or the land of Esau. If this is Israel, Edom is right down here. That's Esau's land. Esau got no promises of God. None. 
God loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one were born, before either one had done any good or evil. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. He's calling Esau my lord. Oh gosh, you better. Because <laughs> he hadn't seen him in 20 years plus. And the last time he saw him, he was dishonest and stole everything Esau had coming to him. Boy, when you think of Romans 9, God loved Jacob and hated Esau before they were born, you don't think of Jacob being scared to death of Esau, do you? Boy, he's petrified here. He's been a very dishonest guy. Thy servant Jacob saith, Thus have I sojourned with Laban, my father-in-law, the father of Leah and Rachel, and stayed there until now. I'm coming back home to Israel. And he is scared out of his mind. He just wants to go home and bring his wife and and kids, all four of his wives. And I have oxen and asses and flocks and manservants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord Esau that I may find grace in thy sight. I guess he does want to find grace. The last he can remember, he cheated and lied him. Just, just low life. That's the way Jacob was. The one that God loved. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to thy brother Esau. And also he cometh to meet thee with four hundred men with him. And all you've got is four wives and all these kids and all these cattle. Jacob is trembling in his boots, thinking he's going to kill me when he sees me. And he should. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. I guess he was. What he's done, he ought to be afraid. See, most people read that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and that don't mean nothing to him. But if you know what this is about, you know that he's frightened. And he's got every reason to be. And he divided the people who was with him, the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two bands. And he said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. I'm going to put all these companies of cattle and women, and me and Rachel are going to bring up the rear. <laughs> I'm not going to be on the front of this thing. I'm I'm afraid of Esau. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of father Isaac and the God which saidest unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. So he's got a promise of God that God's going to deal well with him. But he's still a human and he's still petrified of Esau. And you can see that when you read this chapter. I'm not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servants. For with my staff I passed over Jordan and now am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, talking to God, from the hand of Esau who deserves to kill me for what I've done. For I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother 
with the children of mine. I'm afraid he's going to kill us all. Esau had a right to. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. He's praying to God and says, you promised to make my seed as the sand of the sea, but he's still a human and afraid of Esau. Can you see that? He's dependent on the promise of God, but he's still living in a human fleshly body, and he's afraid. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother. He hadn't seen him in over 20 years. He's going to do everything to charm Esau. 200 she-goats, that's for Esau. 20 he-goats, that's for Esau. 200 ewes for Esau. 20 rams, boy, he's going to put them out in front. 30 milk camels with their colts. 40 kine, which are cattle. These are all to pacify Esau's anger at Jacob, who God loved. And ten bulls, twenty she-asses, and ten foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants. Every drove by themselves and said unto his servants, Pass over in front of me. Get in front of me. I don't want anything to happen to me and Rachel back here. And put a space betwixt drove and drove. I want to see how Esau accepts all this. He is terrified. That's what he is. I think this is a funny chapter. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose are these cattle and all these sheep? And whither goest thou? And whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They are thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau to assuage your wrath that you have every right to have against Jacob. And behold, also he is behind us. He's afraid of you. I guess he is. And he commanded, and so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall you speak unto Esau when you find him. It's been 20 years since I've seen him, but if he may still be really angry at me, He's out to kill me and all my family. And say ye moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob, he's calling himself Esau's servant. Thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease Esau. That word appease is an interesting word. It's the word kafar. I'll cover his face with this ransom that goes before me. Kafar is the word atonement. I need to atone for my sin in the eyes of Esau. Does it sound like God loved Jacob and hated Esau, doesn't it? 
with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face and peradventure. Maybe he'll accept me. This is like the blood of Christ going before us. Maybe God will accept us. So went the present over before him. He sends all these goats and sheep. Please, Esau. Be careful. Be easy with me. Have mercy on me. I know I've done you wrong. And himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his eleven sons and passed over the brook Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over they he had. And Jacob was left alone and he wrestled with an angel that night. I won't read that part. And the angel said, What is your name? He said, Jacob, there in verse 28, and he said, Jacob means, means he'll catch her, one who trips people up. This is Jacob's conversion right here. And the angel of the Lord said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God, and with men and has prevailed. Israel means to prevail with God. Well, he was a rascal up to this point. And this is his conversion. And Jacob asked him, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Where is, where is it that thou dost ask my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the place Penuel for I will I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved and he passed over Penuel the sun rose up upon him and he halted upon his thigh therefore the children of Israel Jacob became crippled because the angel of the Lord touched his thigh and made him a cripple from that day forward and he limped the rest of his life Therefore the children of Israel eat not the sinew which shrank which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. Now chapter 33, he meets Esau. This I can hardly read. It shows Esau having grace that only God has. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men, and Jacob's knees are bumping one against the other, and he is so frightened. And he divided the children unto Leah, unto Rachel, unto two handmaids, and he put the handmaids and their children in the front, and then her children after that, and Rachel and Jacob took up the rear. I want to be able to run for my life just in case he starts killing my family, and he has a right to. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times. 
to Esau. He's buying, he keeps calling Esau his Lord. Lord was a term of respect, of looking up to. And he came near to his brother Esau. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck kissed Jacob and wept. When you talk about grace, that is grace, isn't it? And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, Who are these with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. He keeps calling himself the servant of Esau. He's very humble now. Then the handmaiden came near and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. Out after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves and said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? These were Esau's words. And Jacob says, There are to find grace in the sight of Esau, my Lord. You wouldn't think that Jacob would be this humbled before the one that God did not love. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother, Keep that thou hast unto thyself. I don't need any more. This shows Esau was a very gentle, tender-hearted man. When the Bible says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. That's hard to understand when you read the life of Jacob. He was sometimes, he was a worthless scoundrel until God dealt with him on the road back to Israel. Now, i got some things I want to share with you. I started earlier on this, but I want to show you these things. I want to take it over to... I said Shem was the second born. He was the eleventh from Adam. Joseph was the eleventh from Jacob. He was second born. Simeon was second born. And when Joseph was over in Egypt, he said, I ought to keep, while you go back to your father in the land of Canaan, go back to Jacob. When you go back to Jacob, I want to keep one of you here. The one I want to keep is that one right there. And that was Simeon, and he was the second born, second born of Simeon was second born of Jacob. And Joseph, who's given the orders, was the eleventh born of Jacob. Eleven and two. Those are very significant letter numbers all through the Bible. I gotta give you a couple of, gotta give you a couple of more of these. I want you to go over to Matthew ten. 
I love these numbers. What this do, I had a guy ask me one time, what are you trying to do with those numbers? I said, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm trying to tell you that God is exact in numbers and names. In order for all these people to be exactly where they were, it has to be an exact, an exact sperm and an exact egg to be that individual. I've asked doctors, if it's any other sperm and the same egg, will it be a different person? They said it will be, it will be another person. So every one of these people were born exactly when they were supposed to be born, and they were the people they were supposed to be. God not only controls who his elect family is, he controls numbers, names. I took, I added up, this is something I did myself. I took all the names of the people from Adam down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's three sets of 11 generations, three sets. And I took all those names, added them up in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it's just like the Greek. You you had every letter of the alphabet was assigned a number, one, two, three, four, up to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, up to 100, 200, 300. That's called gematria. And you have all these mathematical ways of working things. And I took Abraham's righteous name. His name at first was Abram, but I took Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. I'll come up and put this on the board one day. And I took up Abraham's name in the Hebrew, added up to a number, and it was three numbers. I took Isaac's name. Abraham was his righteous name. I took Isaac's name, and it added up to numbers. And I took Jacob's name, and it added up to certain numbers. Jacob, I took Israel, his righteous name. Added up the numbers and made a total of them. And I took Jacob's name, Joseph's name, and added up to certain numbers. Then I took each one of those numbers and added them. And Abraham added up to, to one number, nine, Isaac to ten, Jacob to eleven, and Joseph to twelve. It's just astounding the way God has arranged numbers. I want to give you some more numbers. I love 11s and 2s. I love 7s and 4s. All through the Bible, 7s and 4s go together. God said in Leviticus, Leviticus the 26th chapter, He told Jacob, He said, if you go after these other gods, He said this four times. He said, I will punish you seven times for your sin. Seven and four. In Mark the eighth chapter, God fed, he fed 4,000 people 
with seven loaves of broken bread, seven and four. Any multiple of ten, a hundred, a thousand is a form of the first number, four and seven. A newborn baby in Israel was called mature or was called the fish because it was in a lake for 40 sevens. Any woman that had a baby knows that for 40 semesters. Now, these numbers are astounding everywhere. The reason I like to teach on the numbers is because it shows just how sovereign God is with names and numbers. It's more than just we've been predestined and chosen before the foundation of the world. Everything that goes in our lives is something that's been ordained by God. Let me show you something else. Look over here in Matthew 10 and 2. Jesus is naming the apostles. Look here. Matthew 10 and 2. How much time do I have, Mike? Look at Matthew 10 and 2. Jesus is naming the apostles. Or these are named by the Bible. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, number one, Simon. Simon, number one. who is called Peter, Andrew, that's number two, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, that's four, Philip, number five, Bartholomew, six, Thomas, seven, Matthew, the publican, eight, James, the son of Thaddeus, nine. Lebius, whose surname is Thaddeus, ten. Simon, the Canaanite, number eleven. Two Simons are in this list. Eleven and two. You think that is an accident? I don't think so. Let's go over here to... Mark 3.13, and Jesus is numbering them in there. Mark 3.13. I love the numbers in the Bible. I believe in predestination. I believe God has ordained everything to be the way it is. Everything, the good and the evil. Didn't He ordain the evil of, of Jacob lying to his father? in order for all these things to come to pass? In order for Solomon to... Do you think God ordained for Solomon to build the temple before the foundation of the world? You think that happened? Not without David committing adultery and murder. Because Solomon wasn't born until after David married Bathsheba and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Was he blameless? No, he was to be blamed. But you know why you can't understand that? Because the Bible says, God says, your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. What he's saying is you can't think like I think. 
God will create evil and it'll puzzle us. We'll scramble our brains going, how can this be? It's because God is magnificently magnificent. And he does what, our God sits in the heavens. He done whatsoever he had pleased. He does everything. Anytime anybody asks you, why did God do this? Just say, well, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ unto himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Say, it's according to his good pleasure. We have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will because it's his counsel and he wants to. Boy, that's a God, isn't it? I love this kind of a God that's in charge of all the evil and all the good. If you can see in all those Old Testament characters and stories, he's in charge of all the evil as well as the good. He took one evil work of Jacob stealing his brother's birthright and ended up with the whole story of Israel with it. If he hadn't run off to Haran where he met the mother, all the mothers of Israel. And it was all because he lied to his father and he was terrified of Esau after he stole his birthright. Everything hinges on that. Now, let me read this to you. Mark 3, 13. Mark 3, 13. Mark 3 and verse 13. And he's naming these sons. He's naming his apostles. Verse 16, actually. And Simon, whose sermon was Peter. James, number two, the son of Zebedee. John, the brother of James. And he surnamed them Boragines, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew, number four. Philip, number five. Bartholomew, number six. Matthew, number seven. Thomas, number eight. James, number nine, the son of Alphys. That is number ten. And Simon the Canaanite, number eleven. You got two Simons there, eleven and two. See that? you got Simon in verse 16 and Simon in verse 18. And the second Simon is the 11th one. And now let's go over here to... Do you think this is all accident? It just happened to fall in place? No. Look here in, in Luke 6 and 12. Luke 6 and 12. Luke names it a little different. 6 and 12. And this, the Bible's naming the apostles. Simon, whom he called Peter, 
Andrew, number two, his brother, James, three, John, four, Philip, five, Bartholomew, six, Matthew, seven, Thomas, eight, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotus, ten, and Judas, the brother of James, eleven. And you've got two Judases here. And Judas is scared. So Judas is eleven and two. Let me give you a real interesting thing here. Go to Acts, the first chapter. What this does is this shows us the magnificence of God placing men exactly where He wants them to be. I've got to give you this and then I'll stop. Acts. Judas has died. He's hanged himself. He's hanged himself and he and they have to pick one to take his place. Here in Acts, at the end of the first chapter, verse 23, and they're going to appoint somebody to take Jesus' place, and they appointed two. Joseph called Barsabbas two, who was surnamed Justice. There's 11 apostles. They named two men, 11 and two, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen. He may be a part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his place. And they gave forth the lot, and it fell upon the second one mentioned, Matthias. Eleven of the apostles were left. And they mentioned two, and that's eleven and two. You say, I had somebody said, why go into all those numbers? That show you just exactly how perfect God is in His numbers and His names. Do I believe that's all there is to it? No, I did a whole series on Gematria. And that's some of the most astounding studies I've ever done. It shows you that numbers are from one end of the Bible to the other. God is exact in everything. You can look for 11s and 2s. You're going to find them everywhere. You can look for 7s and 4s. You're going to find them all over the Bible. That's because this is a holy book to God. And it's exact. I don't believe in fighting anybody over the Bible. I believe it's mathematically structured and it's right, but you have to go to the original Greek text. I love this 11 and 2s. Oh, by the way, the high priest of Israel had 12 stones on his breastplate. The 11th one was an onyx, and he had one on each shoulder, 11 and 2. It's everywhere. It shows you how exact God is. It makes you want to fear a God like this, you know. If He's in charge of every move you make, you can go out here and turn right on the road or you can turn left. If you turn left, you can go down here and and you can have a car wreck. And five years from now, you can say something happens. You say, that's the will of God. Not without this car wreck down here. 
You have to have the wreck in order for every step of your life to be different. I leave the house sometimes. I look down and there's a spot on my shirt. I say, i got to go change this. I'll go back in the house and it takes me 10 minutes to decide which shirt I want to put on. When I decide and put it on, every step of my life will be different because of that one thing happening. Have you ever realized that? I'll go into a... I'll come up to the church. I may go to the restroom instead of coming up here. You may do something and go into your house and you'll go to one room instead of the other if certain things hadn't happened. God's in charge of everything. The good and the evil. He said, I make peace, create evil, I the Lord do all these things. He creates the numbers. He creates the names of people when they happen. Jacob certainly was a scoundrel. He'll catch or fit him to the T. That's why God had to change his name to prevail with God, Israel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth above everything. It humbles us to see your magnificence in all of these things. Thank you so much for truth. I love this book more than anything. I pray you'll give the church strength to continue. I pray that you'll give me strength to continue for years to come if it's according to your will and mercy. I want to stay here for the church even though I have a desire to part and be with Christ which is far better. Fight our battles, Lord. Anyone that would try to stop this ministry, you stop them, Lord. And we'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I got the Pope in there, didn't I? I got him in there because he, he starts with a P. Hang the Pope. Hang the Pope. <laughs> That's a song title. What was that girl's name that put him down on Saturday Night Live? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs>